Because many of you probably thought that we just weren't going to talk about Isaiah 57 and 59. (laughs) But we are. So uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 57 tonight. All the Lord's plans are perfect. Isaiah chapter 57 begins, The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, and no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. When we look uh, here in chapter 57, leading into the, to the final book, again, he's, he's looking, and I think we can see a couple of things here as we look at this first verse. And one of those being, the place of the nation prior to their captivity had gotten to the place where the, the righteous were being wiped out, and nobody cared. Righteous were dying, and no man took it to heart. It didn't matter to society as a whole. It didn't matter to the nation as a whole. You know, it was all about, you know, whatever their focus was on at the time, and it didn't have anything to do with what was right or wrong. A lot of people, when they look here at verse 1, they see in the Old Testament also a type, a shadow of the rapture. As the Lord lays out the concept, think about that. The righteous perish and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away and no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. When they looked at what was going on at the time that the prophecy is given, you're seeing the righteous being persecuted, which, we, which is nothing new. That's, that's common in all eras, one of the things that's interesting as we look at this is that they, not only did they not care, but they didn't consider that the righteous were going to be okay. But those who left, they were facing something totally different. The righteous were out of the time of bondage, out of the 70 years that the, the nation would spend in Babylon. The righteous were home with the Lord. And so as I shared before, when we look at this, there's a lot of people who point to it and say, hey, here we see there's a couple of sections in Isaiah which seem to allude, could be a shadow or a picture of the rapture in that time when the Lord pulls the righteous to to be by his side. But as we take a look, he goes on in verse 2, he shall enter into peace and they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness this he's talking about the righteous and being with the lord and the righteous that are being with the lord he says hey they're going to enter into peace you think that that you know you got rid of those guys oh those pesky righteous people always messing up all the fun we want to have but the lord says they're the ones that have found peace and you You're going into bondage. You're going into captivity. You're going to be a slave for 70 years. Those of you who are are older will never again see the return to the nation of Israel. And you thought that they got the raw deal. The Lord says, but the righteous, they're each one walking in his uprightness will find rest in their beds. What is it that Jesus said? When we see the church standing before the Lord... And he says to them, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's happiness or into your master's rest. It's that time of rest. Resting from a labor, resting from persecution, resting from 
whatever things have been going on in that person's life in Christ, we find our peace, we find our rest. But, verse 3, as we turn our eyes back to those who are still left, but come here, you sons of the sorcerers, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make your wide mouth and stick out your tongue? And are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood? So often when we look at people, when, they, when they're pointing their finger at someone or when they have this, this attitude of contention or, or uh, disputing or hating the righteous, what we see in that is an inability to look at themselves. If I focus myself on what I hate about you, I don't have to think about me. So I can fill all my time with hating you. Well, the world is full of people that do that. People who, rather than having to consider what's my role, where, 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 what's my relationship with God, it's all about, well, them, those people are, and we should just, and wipe all them out, and they focus on all the sin that they see on others, but they don't look inwardly. They never look at themselves. And this is what God is saying to them here. Listen, who do you ridicule? Against whom have you opened your mouth wide, made a wide mouth, or stuck out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression? Don't you also have sin in your life? Are there also issues within you that, that God would want to deal with with you? Aren't you also offspring of falsehood? Every man born in sin. One of the things that I have found always to be true Whenever we see legalism and issues of legalism is a, is, a, is a reality that it's always a mask hiding some kind of sin, some issue. Over and over and over and over again, I've seen it. There'll be the, the one all wrapped up, pointing their fingers, you know, upset at some group or some, some people and, and frustrated, what have you, and as they're carrying on with their legalistic ways, all they're doing is finding something to do rather than consider that I am a child of transgression, that I have issues in my life, that I got a problem that I need to straighten out with the Lord. This, the whole nation was like that. The whole nation like that, pointing their finger at the righteous. He goes on to say, inflaming yourselves with God's, under every green tree. This is a phrase that you're going to find often in Scripture. Keep in mind, almost all Canaanite deities that were worshipped involved some type of sexual immorality within the worship. And it would always be done in the groves, in the high places. You'll see that in Kings. You'll see it in Chronicles. Uh, Josiah pulling down the high places. You see uh, in the Judges, Gideon pulling down the high places, the altars. And this concept of under every green tree, the Lord's saying that you're cheating. Israel in the scriptures was considered the wife of God. And so God would say, but you, you are out chasing the harlots and sleeping with them under every green tree, worshiping all these false gods, all these false gods. And remember for the Canaanites, the evergreen would become a sign of fertility, the God of fertility. In fact, we... We'll talk about that a little bit later as we get into some of the Babylonian uh, uh, religions. But as we take a look, this is what he's saying. Inflaming yourself, cheating upon the Lord under every green tree, and then slaying the children in the valleys. It's funny. 
they would not bring their offering to God. You know, their grain offering, that lamb or, or that thing that God required for them to sacrifice. But they would sacrifice their children. Is that not... It just messes with my mind. I won't give God this small offering that He asked me for, but I'm going to go to this false God and give my children? In the valleys... The Valley of Henna, also known as Gehenna. One of the phrases that Jesus Christ himself uses for hell. Where the fires burn and the worm never dies. That's the valley where they killed their children. In Jerusalem. Gehenna. He said, you're worshiping all these false gods you're not coming to me you're not worshiping me you won't bring me an offering but you're offering your children in the valleys you're giving your children you're giving them up under the clefts of the rocks and among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion they they are your lot even to them you have poured out a drink offering. He's saying, listen, you're, the thing you treasure all of a sudden is them smooth stones in the bottom of the stream. That's like you, the end-all, beat-all. That they were focused on the things that people would take and carve out their, their gods. That they'd set on their mantle and that becomes their portion. Now, hey, the smooth stones in the bottom of a stream are kind of cool. If you find one that's good and flat, you can skip it a long time. But I don't want that to be my portion. I don't want that to be my inheritance, the reward I receive from the Lord. Oh, here's your smooth stone. Uh, that was their attitude. Trade all for that rock. Giving away everything that they had in Christ, everything that they had in the Lord, the promises of God, giving it away, trading it in, for a smooth stone in the bottom of a stream that they could carve into a deity. It's amazing to me because still, when you go to Israel, they, they, there's just hundreds of thousands of them. It's not like there's just a couple. Those false gods were everywhere. In all the homes. On the, on the outside, they would look good. What did Jesus say to them? You're whitewashed... Tombs full of dead men's bones. Outside you look good. But nobody sees what's really going on inside your heart. Nobody sees that little God you carved and put on your mantle. Nobody sees those deities that you pray to every day. You come out and you look the part. But their hearts were far from them. Your portion is that smooth stone. You're trading all that you have in the Lord for that. And you have offered a grain offering. So should I receive comfort in these? They were given their offerings that belonged to the Lord. To the smooth stones, to the false gods. On a lofty and high mountain you have set your bed. Even there you went up to offer sacrifice. And behind the doors and their posts you have set up your remembrance. For you have uncovered yourself to those other than me. And as God speaks to the nation of Israel, he always often speaks to them in terms of, as a husband to a wife. 
You've uncovered yourself for someone else. You've cheated. You've broken that trust in our relationship. But then he also says, listen, you, you set up your remembrance in the posts, in the doorposts. What were they supposed to put behind the doors and on the posts? They were supposed to put the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, 4, put this, found your home on the word of God. That's what God was saying. But do you know what they were doing here? In order to have blessing on their home, as they built it, they would lay their children in the foundations and close the walls up around them. They made their kids part of that. And that offering, giving that offering to whatever deity it was for, they set that remembrance. It blows me away, the things that people will do. What people are willing to do. If you won't surrender your life and follow the Lord, do you really think there's some kind of limit to the evil man can do? I don't think so. All I know is the scripture lays out for us, the prophet said, the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? God. He knows it. That's why he sent his son. Because we couldn't make it on our own. They set their children behind the doors and the posts. They set up their remembrance. You uncovered yourself to those other than me and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed where you saw their nudity. They were enthralled with the concept. I mean, we see the beginning of it really all the way back when the children of Israel are in the wilderness and Balaam tells Moab how to make the men of Israel fall. Send in your women. Have them entice them and sleep with them. And once they've slept with them, tell them to open up their purses, open up their pouches and pull out their gods. And their hearts will turn just that easy. The Lord said to the children of Israel, when you come into the land of promise... Utterly wipe out your enemies. Utterly wipe them out. Because if you leave even one, they will infect you. They left more than one. They left a substantial number, as a matter of fact. And were instantly affected and infected by the worship of other gods. Whenever I think about this, I, I kind of I can't help but think about the parable Jesus told of the of the four soils, and he talks about the sower going out to sow seed. Well, the same thing happens to the seed that happens to the children of Israel. Well, if it's not some false deity or false god or 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 something like that, maybe, but it's it's whatever is choking out the fruitfulness of God's word in our lives. Because the word is sown. God said his word will accomplish what it's been sent. It'll do the work. It'll work in people's lives. But what happens to the, the, the nature of the soil of the heart? If that soil is shallow and rocky, it springs up quickly but burns out as soon as uh, the hot sun rises. A few trials in life and bam, that one's out. Or the, the weeds come in and choke out the fruitfulness. And wipe out the crop. What was necessary was that the, the heart 
was fertile soil. How did it become that fertile soil? By paying heed to what God's word said. God said, I exalt my word above all my name. If that's true, then we should take God's word and apply it. And that should be a premium importance to us because it is of premium importance to the Lord. When someone came to Jesus and they said, Lord, Lord, what must we do to do the works of God? You remember what Jesus said? Believe on him who sent me and believe me. Believe. Believe the word. Believe what God has said. Believe what God's done. So when God told the children of Israel, guys, go in here and wipe everybody out. Don't you think that they, just like us, tried to figure out how that works? Lord, man, that's hard to do. Or don't you think? You think that they're different people than us. You think when the Lord said, utterly wipe them out, every man, woman, and child, that soldier who stood before that child of a Canaanite family, you don't think it was hard? Sometimes obeying God's word is difficult. Sometimes it's hard. The bottom line for that soldier is, Either I trust how this feels to me, or I trust God. If God said do it, he has a plan. Does God love that child? Even if he's a Canaanite? Sure he did. Sure he did. Some would argue that's the only way that Canaanite child could have been saved. I don't know that's true or not true. All I know is God said do it. And they're faced with a choice. And somewhere along the way, the battle got hard, tired. I'm tired of doing this. I don't want to do these things anymore. And so they made peace with the people. And they've been chasing that peace ever since. Jesus said it's a righteous man that will find peace. What do we know about the righteous man? He believes God. He believes God. Abraham believed God and what happened? He was accounted as righteous. He put his trust in what God said. No matter what it was, he put his trust in what God said. They didn't fulfill that role. And here we see the prophet Isaiah now saying, look at what's happened. You left them in the land, and now you're sacrificing your children to their gods. That's how far man will fall. That's what man is capable of. He was was seeing the God who had carried them out of the land of Egypt, delivered them into the promised land, watched over them in the time of judges, raised up judge after judge after judge after judge, come through to the time of the kings, seen the, 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 the glory of King David, seen the wisdom of King Solomon, the hand of God on all these things. These people had seen these things as part of their growing up. But they traded it all for smooth stones That they could make look like a God. And they cheated. They broke their promises to God. They broke their promise to Him. Verse 9, we'd see why. For you went to the king with ointment, and you increased your perfumes, and you sent your messengers far off, and even descended to Sheol. Hey, they were looking for people to help them stand against their enemies. 
So they went to a king in a foreign land and they brought him ointment and perfume. Why did Solomon have so many wives? Most of the wives that Solomon had was through him trying to make peace with other kingdoms. What's a great way to make peace? Marry my daughter. And he did that hundreds of times. The Lord said, don't do that. I'll turn your heart away from me. But he did that. Why? Because they were looking for their deliverance somewhere else. They're looking for their deliverance in some other kingdom. And so they would accept their gods and they'd put their temples up within the the nation of Israel because they're making peace and they want to make an opportunity for them. Rather than saying, God is my portion, the Lord is everything I need, it, it, they just did it like everybody else did it. That's what everybody else is doing, right? That's what everybody else is doing. That's what everybody else is about. So they did that. They sent their ambassadors out. They're trying to, to make all these, these plans in peace with other people. They even descended into Sheol, poetic license. They went to the grave. They made a deal with the devil. Whatever it was. They wouldn't go to the Lord. But they even descended as far as Sheol. Sheol, that word that speaks of the grave. He goes on. And you are wearied in the length of your way. You guys have been trying to do this and it's wearied you. And it's not the same thrill anymore now when you go worship that false deity or you go sleep with that temple uh, priestess or you do the things that are involved in this worship. It doesn't give you the same thrill anymore. You're wearied. You're wiped out. You're wearied in the way. But listen, you're wearied in the way, but you did not say there is no hope. You won't stop. Something interesting about a rut. When you start driving in that rut, you just find yourself in that rut every day. I mean, just look at how we spend our day. Whatever our schedule looks like, it's full of ruts. And we say, oh, I wish this was different or that was different. Listen, if you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. You got to get out of a rut or make a new rut, a good rut, a rut in the word of God, a rut spending time with him. He says here, you guys wouldn't change. Doesn't this remind you of what the book of Revelation tells us after judgment, after judgment, after judgment, after the, the, the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bulls and all these judgments poured out upon man. And yet the scripture says man would not repent. I had a football player like that one time. Was a preacher's kid. He was ornery. Good football player. But he was ornery. We had rules. On the football team, we had rules. And there was not going to be no cursing. Wasn't going to have any cursing on the football team. So I would take care and exercise the cursing right out of people. Not like an exorcism, but like exercising. <laughs> And so this, I remember this, this young man, he was so frustrated and angry and he, he found himself cursing. And so we started working him and the rebellious streak in him ran so far that he would keep saying the word while he was exercising. There's just one thing I know. I will win sooner or later. Your body will give out. And you will not have the energy to open your mouth anymore. 
I remember him exercising to the point of exhaustion, laying on the ground and crawling and still trying to be as rebellious as he was. And that reminds me of what the nature of man is like. To know what's right and and to be so dead set against walking in it that you'll waste your last moments cursing the Lord. Men still like that. Still men today, I've seen them where you come into the hospital, it's their final days, final moments. Hey, can I pray with you? Would you like to make your peace with God? No. You sure? Yep. All right. What do you say? And still, man would not repent. They were following all these false gods and still... They would not turn. Still, that rebellion is in the heart. And if the heart is not dealt with, it won't go away. Ezekiel said it like this, your heart is hard. Isn't that what happened to Pharaoh? Pharaoh's heart was hard. Over and over again in Scripture, we see people where where the Lord hardened their heart, confirmed their choice. What is that all about? What's, what's he talking about? Listen, Ezekiel says that if we repent and turn to the Lord, he'll give us again a heart of flesh. He's the only one who can break down that stone heart that man gets. God's able to do it. You're wearied, but you would not say there is no hope. You have found the life of your hand. Therefore, you are not grieved. You have whatever you think you want. It's hard a person to reach in a world than someone who thinks he has everything he needs already, right? You ever try to teach somebody who knows all the answers? Yeah, you're better off just waiting until they figure it out whether they really know them or not. As to try to teach someone who already has all the answers. In verse 11 he says, And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and not remembered me nor taken it to your heart? Is it not because I have held my peace from of old that you do not fear me? The Lord's saying that it's because I didn't bring judgment. It's because of my mercy and grace. You still see people do that stuff today. I did this and God didn't judge me. Lightning didn't come from the heavens. So it must be okay. Uh, Not necessarily. God's patient. He says, is this why you hate me? Is this why you rebel against me? Because I withheld my judgment from you? Because I waited? Because I was long-suffering, gave you opportunity to repent? I will declare your righteousness and your works, for they will not profit you. And when you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry them all away, and a breath will take them. So God says, in that day, when you see the armies of Babylon coming down, and all your plans have failed you, don't call me. Call your smooth stones. Call the idols on your mantles. Ask for help from the the idols to which you sacrificed your children. You call them for help. Because I'm not coming. 
One of the things I see throughout Scripture is there comes a time when God gives man what he's asking for. Sometimes that's the only way man learns, right? Keep thinking that this is what I want. I keep thinking that this is what I want. Sooner or later, the Lord gives me a, a good deep taste. And then I realize, oh, that's why he said no. I remember when my son JC was like three. He always wanted whatever dad was eating. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. And I was more than willing to share. But this particular day, I had a burrito. Now, if you've ever watched me eat a burrito, besides the fact that it is one of the seven wonders of the world, <clears throat> I will put so... <laughs> Why? Burro. <clears throat> so I will put so much hot sauce on a burrito that I'm, I'm hoping it will burn a hole clean through my belly. I just love it. The pain is oh so good when I eat those things. And so I have one of those burritos. Hot sauce on it for days. And my son comes up and says, Dad, give me a bite of the burrito. I'm going to bite, bite, bite. No. Bad idea, son. You don't want to bite of this burrito. And he say it again. Bite, 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 son. You don't want a bite of this burrito. Then he start crying. Bite, bite. Son, you don't want to buy a dad's burrito. It's hot. Bite, bite. All right. So I gave him a bite. To this day, JC will not eat burritos anymore. He's like 23, 20 years later. I don't want a burrito. I don't want hot sauce. And I don't ask dad for no food. But sometimes that's, that's the way things are with the Lord. We're always trying to get our way or what we want. And that's the only thing we can see. So occasionally, God lets us have it. You want idol worship? You want to worship false gods? I got a deal for you guys. I'm going to send you to the capital of idol worship. So they spent 70 years in Babylon. You know what happened? They were cured. They never struggle in that same way again. But the Lord let them have what they wanted. Seventy years in bondage to the Babylonians, to the idol worship capital of the world. But look what else he says here in the second part of verse 13. But he who puts his trust in me will possess the land and inherit my holy mountain. He who puts his trust in me. He who believes. He who believes, he who receives my word and says, yeah, no, this, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. The Lord says, they're going to possess the land. They're going to inherit the holy mountain, that place where God spoke to his people. They'll inherit this, those who put his trust in me. And not in these idols, not in something else. Not in some other thing in the world, but their, their trust is in the Lord. Trusting in him completely. And one will say, heap it up, heap it up, prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. That phrase, heap it up, heap it up, it's an idea. This is the word picture that they're painting in the Hebrew. Take that road and you put it up high. 
You raise that causeway so that nobody can miss it. Because this highway is above the ground level. You can see it from a long ways off. Prepare the way. Take the stumbling blocks away from the people. Raise it up so they can see, so that they can take the road. Raise this road and remove all stumbling. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. So God's saying, listen, I'm going to show you this highway, this way to have a right relationship with me, and uh, uh, to know me in a better way. Here's, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to build you right now a road, lift it up high so that anyone can see, heaped up. And there's not a stumbling block on it. And the first thing you need to understand is I am holy. First thing. Understanding the majesty of God. He is holy and he dwells in the high and holy place. Holy, set apart, one and only. The only person like this. He is. He is that holy, holy one. And we need to understand that God's holy. I think we do a disservice. I think at one time, my personal opinion, in the nation of Israel, their reverence, and I don't want this to sound wrong, but that was, it was almost over the top. And we'd gone way too far the other way. That our reverence is too low. I mean, for a Jewish person to, to say the name of God, the Ahavahway, he'd take a shower, change his clothes. I mean, it was very holy, but it's important for us to understand. God is accessible to you and I, but he's still holy. Amen. He's still righteous. He's still perfect. He's still just. He's still all those things. And so he says, you want to understand a right relationship with me? First thing, I'm holy. I am holy, righteous, just. Then the second thing, he says, and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Secret to revival? To be a humble and contrite person. First he says, I dwell in the high holy place and with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. God wants to dwell or be in that place with the humble and the contrite. With those who would say, man, Lord, here I am. Accurately seeing myself. I'm not some holier than thou. I'm not some great person. I'm not some guy who always does right or gets it right. But I know that my right standing comes by a relationship with him. And I come before God in a humble way. There's a whole group of people today, folks, that, that throw around commands to God like they can make God do something. Excuse me? Really? God is God, and I'm not in control of him. He does what he does, and I am to fall in line with him. Here I am, Lord, humble, contrite, 
Just like David. Why was David a man after God's own heart? Because even when he sinned with Bathsheba and fell, he came before the Lord and repented. And he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart. Isn't that what God does? And that's what God did for David. David had that spirit, that attitude. So first, we need to know that God is holy. Second, we need to know that God dwells with him who is contrite and humble. Verse 16, he says, For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would fail before me, and the souls which I have made. For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry, and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. But I have seen his ways, and I will heal him. The third thing, God's great love. He is holy. He dwells with the humble and the contrite. And he loves us. Hey, even though this iniquity and the covetousness came upon him and, and God was angry and chastised him and struck him and, and then withdrew from him and didn't give his word to him, even though all of these things, he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. This person didn't turn. He's talking about the nation of Israel. It's, he's not changing. He's not turned. Yet, what does he say? I have seen his ways and I will heal him. And I will also lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners. I will create the fruit of the lips. God loves. He loves him. And what do we see? The the restoring of comfort to him and to his mourners implies a repentance. What leads men to repentance? Chastening doesn't do it. Whooping doesn't do it. What leads men to repentance? The scripture tells us the goodness of God leads men to repentance. The goodness of God. If you don't understand the goodness of God, then, then you don't understand what, what there is to being with him. One of, the, one of the challenges that I saw working for years in a Christian school was that very challenge. Kids growing up in a Christian school, being fed the Word of God every day, and didn't understand what they had. Didn't understand the beauty and the goodness of God because they, they, hadn't, they didn't understand. They, they had this concept that what's going on at the other high school is better. It's better. This isn't as good. This is subpar. Being with the Lord is subpar. Being in the world is better. When a child graduates with that attitude, where do they go? Go to the world. For all they're worth. Until what happens? Until they've eaten and their belly is full of all the garbage that the world has to give. And then they say, you know, the servants in my father's house ate better than this. And then they go home. The disservice that we do is allowing our children to think that. 
to, to, to grasp that, you know, and unfortunately being a parent, by the way, uh, hindsight 2020, <clears throat> while you're doing it, you, you, you're a survivor. We, there comes a time we have to turn our children over to the Lord and, and ask God to do that work. But there was a concept in Deuteronomy that I wish I grasped fully while my kids were young. And that was that you would teach these things diligently to your children, the, the word of God, and then to talk about them when you walk in the way, when, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, everywhere you go is an opportunity to share the goodness of God so that they understand. A lot of kids, not every kid, but a lot of kids missed it. They missed it. And then we see other kids who were at that public school and, and were being ridiculed for their faith that were going great guns. Why? Because they have been down that road and they knew there's nothing there. But we have this concept as human beings that the grass is greener on the other side. Right? The water bill is also higher. It is higher. Why is the water bill higher? Because it's green where you water it. And if you water, it's going to be green. If I plant the thought in my mind, oh, it'd be so much better to be over there. Isn't that what the prodigal son did? If I had dad's money and I could go spend it and a party, man, I could have party. We could, I would never run out of money. It would be one great party. People would love me. I'd have friends around me all the time. Isn't that what he told himself? Until he believed it. Until he lived it. And then it all changed. We have to, as parents, as pastors, and as Sunday school teachers, and as people who are going to be able to invest in the young people's lives in our church, in our community, we have to realize that role falls on me, on us, to talk about it in the way, to look for those opportunities to share God's truths and God's goodness so that they understand that goodness. They understand it. God's great love. He'll heal. He brought back the prodigal, right? He brought back that that attitude. And what does he say in verse 19? Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord. Very interesting verse in Ephesians chapter 2. You see this verse highlighted on by Paul. He gives his commentary. His commentary goes something like this. Him who is afar off, that's the Gentiles. To him who is near, that's the Jew. Peace, peace. Both to him who is afar off and to him who is near, says the Lord, I will heal him. There was a time for the Jew, he thought that a Gentile was nothing but fuel for the fire of hell. But that wasn't true. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. And here he's telling them, there will be peace. But the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. You ever been to a place like that and wanted to go swimming? How many of you guys have been to the ocean? Oh, good. See, I just want to make sure I'm not going to tell a story that nobody understands. You know, we are in Idaho. But we all started somewhere. 
We took a youth group trip to the ocean one time. Now, when we went to the ocean, when we got there, there had been a storm. And sometimes when there's a storm, you have one of two things occur. Humongous waves, which is usually good. Or a humongous pile of seaweed. You ever swim in seaweed? Yeah, I know you don't swim. But if you swum, you wouldn't like it. Swimming in seaweed is, is, is like swimming in spaghetti noodles with critters everywhere. Yeah, because while you're swimming in all that seaweed, you know what it's full of? Crabs. <laughs> and these little crabs will get on you. You'll be talking to your friend and there's a crab crawling up on top of your head. Where'd that crab come from? And on top of the fact that you can't even sink in the water because there's so much seaweed and all these little bugs flying around and it's gross. That's what the Lord says wickedness is like. Wickedness is like these waves just churning up this mire. It's just dirty, nasty gunk. That's how their life is. It's dirty, nasty gunk. The wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There's no peace without the Lord. I love that bumper sticker. No peace, no peace. Right? Everybody knows it, right? No peace, N-O, or no peace, K-N-O-W. No peace. No God, no peace. No God, no peace. That's the same concept that we have the scripture laying out for us here. The Lord says, listen, I'm going to make a high road so you can understand. This is how you can know me. I am holy. I dwell among the people who are humble and contrite in spirit. And I will revive their spirit. I revive the spirit of the humble. And I'll revive the spirit of he who is contrite. And he wants us to understand I love you. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to turn you around. So know me and know peace. Or choose not to know me and you won't know peace. That's what God has for us this evening. The children of Israel in this place that they found themselves were doing things that they never imagined they would do because they didn't obey God's word. So God said, okay, guys, here, let me build you a highway, a freeway, raised up, lifted up, so that you can see and not stumble. I am holy. And I want you to be humble and contrite. I want you to come to me and, and, and lay yourself before me. Cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. I want you to be broken before me so that I can make you whole, so that I can revive you and make you new. I want you to realize I love you. And even when you're in rebellion, I love you. And I'll heal you. And I'll turn you around. The attitude of repentance by the goodness of God. He turns his people around to know him. But to walk in the, as the wicked, no peace. Just the constant churning 
of the waters, icky crabs and bugs. We don't want that. We want the righteousness of God. So this evening as we have a time to, to just seek the Lord in prayer, I invite you to consider what God's word lays out for us this evening. There was a time on the world, in, in the world, in that land, in that place. Man, the righteous were disappearing right and left and nobody cared. One day the righteous will disappear again. And nobody's going to care. But when that happens, all that's left behind is the wicked. Between now and then, we got a call, right? Occupy till I come. Do business. Take the word. Spread the word. Touch lives. Change lives. Turn people around. Now you know where the highway of holiness is. So direct people to it so they might know God and live. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you tonight. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would... Father, by your spirit, God, just help us to hold on to your word, to take it, to apply it, to make it real. Father, we pray that you would be glorified, Father, as we just desire to know you more. Father, as we see in in the scriptures, God, what man is capable of when he doesn't follow what God lays out for him, when he doesn't want to obey, when he doesn't want to give his heart to the Lord. You won't even believe what you're capable of. But I thank you, God, that you are holy and just and righteous. And I thank you that you still receive the humble and the contrite. And Lord God, I thank you for your love that you bestow on your people to turn them around. I thank you that you never gave up on the nation of Israel. And you will never give up on me. So Lord, may we come to that place. We make a a rut, a habit in our life. And that habit being, I don't want to follow and make the mistakes that those who went before me made. I want to learn. I want to move forward. I want everything that you have for me. God, we lay this evening in your hands. And Father, as we seek you in this time of of open prayer, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be among us, guide us and lead us, that you may be glorified in this place.